Wait, what am I saying? <laughs> You're listening. Oh. You're, You're listening, listening to. <laughs> You're listening to discourse. 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 From, from from NPR. NPR. Amaranek Public Radio. Whenever I tell people I live in New York City, I'm treated like royalty. I instantly become intimidating, like the moral superiority of the conversation is being surrendered to me just through those three words. New York City. It scares people. The shift in the tone of the conversation is almost tangible, like I can reach out and touch it as the comfort of the person across from me is being ripped away from them. It probably isn't that theatrical, but there are very few, if any, combinations of words that I have discovered with that much gravity. And I don't think most New Yorkers even realize the power that it holds. There are an infinite number of cultural exports that have helped fuel New York's reputation. Frank Sinatra's New York, New York has lended a very helpful hand. Its brazen lyrics encourage New Yorkers to be a part of it and to wake up at the top of the heap as king of the hill. But the song still maintains this level of unapologetic exclusivity that serves to push any outsiders away. And then, of course, there's its labeling of New York as the city that never sleeps, a phrase whose reputation very much precedes it. But beyond overplayed 70s jazz music, I think New York's sporting prominence has also contributed plenty. The Yankees have almost 30 championships and an even more impressive list of star players and personalities. Yet they've always maintained New York's patented, gritty, win-at-all-costs, workaholic mentality, whose effectiveness tends to wane in the presence of those same star personalities. The Showtime LA Lakers of the 80s are a perfect case study here. And teams with that level of stardom They tend to lose focus, becoming a victim of their own success, but never the Yankees and never New York. My tone isn't especially fond when speaking about New York, and currently I do live here, and for a period almost twice as long as my family has afforded any of the other cities we've resided, but I still don't consider myself a New Yorker. See, whenever I tell people I've lived in Chicago, it's met with universal approval. I become approachable, relatable, and friendly. The kid from the city that somehow everyone loves, and usually with no directly obvious reason. Chicago has this very wholesome, universal aroma surrounding it. It doesn't make me scary, it makes me likable. The origins of Chicago's conversing reputation, ironically, trace down a very similar path to New York. What the Yankees have done to paint New York as serial winners, the Cubs, and their once over century long title drought, have done to illustrate Chicago as humble underdogs, 
these very lovable losers and become one of the city's proudest exports. And no matter how quickly their lack of success would have subjected them to exile in New York. Or maybe it's Chicago's most famed musical icon, whose only consistent quality is his inconsistency, his genius a product of nothing more than his perennial disorganization. And yes, this is Kanye West, whose constant side circus would be worthy of similarly swift exile in New York as that of the Cubs' unimaginable incompetence. And yet, in Chicago, they are embraced, proudly flaunted around by Chicagoans in all of their impossible glory. And that, that is the root of Chicago's reputation. And no part of the city's success ever makes sense. It's never done the right way, never done by the book. And somehow, we find a way. Chicago proudly embraces its imperfections, a quality far more inviting to outsiders than New York's insistence on eliminating its own. In the stereotypical New Yorker sense, I am not an intimidating person. I don't understand this place, nor the people that live here. The way they think, the things they value, I don't get it. The city that never sleeps thing, I hate it. That is not a good thing. A lack of sleep is not something to be celebrated, promoted, or normalized. I like sleep. I need sleep. And I value sleep more than a lot of other things. Affording myself plenty of time for activities that wouldn't necessarily be considered productive or make me fit as a New York role model for hard work and success. If the city that never sleeps is a metaphor for a group of people that never stop working, or a way of life that never stops moving forward, and a mindset that constantly stresses the future instead of cherishing the present, that I'm sleeping way more than eight hours a day. This story is about New York and Chicago. The two are so remarkably different and close to perfect opposites in basically all of their functions. My fascination for the differences between these two cities extends beyond their obvious personal relevance. Their proximity is more extreme than most realize, but so too the polarization in their coexistence. New York was first settled in 1624, the colony of New Amsterdam established on Manhattan Island two years later. And from the beginning, it's been the center of everything. First, one of the significant gateways into the New World, after a critical political hub during the Revolution, and now effectively the capital of the Western world. John Lennon, despite being only one of the most famous artists of all time, once expressed his despair that he was not born in Greenwich Village, saying simply, this is where it is happening. Chicago's origins oppose New York almost perfectly. First truly settled by Americans in 1803, over 175 years after New York, as merely an unimportant military fort, one that was so forgotten that it was partially destroyed by an Indian raid only 11 years later. Eventually, through the effort to construct a canal, the 1932 Black Hawk War, and the rebuilding of that fort, Chicago, 
more accidentally than purposefully had straggled together enough of a population to become a city. But even then, it wasn't until 1848, a full 224 years after New York was first settled, that Chicago's first access to a telegram or a railroad is reported. See, it's not just that I can't move at New York speed. I don't want to. I want to be on autopilot, to cruise through life in the most unbothered way. I am so comfortable in isolation, and so content with staying put in the world I've carved out for myself. For me, an ideal life is one that never really leaves the ground, one that is never forced to speed up. It isn't difficult to find the roots of my romanticization of Chicago. I am, and always was, a perfect fit. But this ideal life thing, however it managed to so rapidly capture me, it's impossible. Life's forgiveness for autopilot, it only lasts so long. There will always be someone that comes up knocking, an alarm that starts ringing, another car coming up behind you. New York is that car. I hate everything about it. It's a repulsive, obnoxious, nauseating city. But its constant presence, its role as that nagging car always forcing me to speed up, has saved me. The story of my ideal world, it probably ends with me living in a basement, a college dropout lost in translation, crippled by a perennial lack of urgency and way too far behind to ever catch up. A month ago, I officially enrolled in university, the ultimate landmark for everyone my age, our point B. And I got there, into a much better school than I ever could have imagined, no less. And as my arrival at this first big point B starts to settle in, I'm reminded of New York's essential role in my life, and to lift me off the ground in a way that Chicago never really could. And I don't think it's coincidence that the most envious, excited responses to the I used to live in Chicago have always come from New Yorkers. Or that Chicago's most ultimately treasured icon, Michael Jordan, is infamous for a personality eerily reminiscent of everything that New York has become known for. Opposites, they do attract, after all. I give both New York and Chicago five stars. <laughs>